Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 410 entitled Something Nice Back Home. This is the 82nd episode of the series and there are 39 to go. With that, let's jump straight into the Wikipedia summary for the episode. After feeling ill for a day, Jack faints. Juliet diagnoses him with appendicitis and deems an appendectomy necessary. She sends Sun to get medical supplies from the staff Dharma Initiative Medical Station. Sun is accompanied by Jin, Daniel, and Charlotte. The latter pair are increasingly distrusted by the survivors. Jin realizes that Charlotte is fluent in Korean and confronts her after their successful trip, threatening to hurt Daniel if she continues to lie about her agenda and does not get Sun off the island. Jack convinces Juliet to allow him to remain awake during the surgery, with Kate holding the mirror, so that he can see and direct the surgery. As Juliet operates, Jack's consciousness proves to be a detriment, and her nurse, dentist Bernard Nadler, knocks him out with chloroform. I don't know that I'd call him the nurse as much as he's the uh, co-physician there, but anyhow, the appendectomy is successful. Afterwards, Juliet tells Kate that Jack really does love Kate, and not Juliet. Elsewhere, Sawyer gives Miles a restraining order to keep away from Claire as they travel to the Survivor's Beach camp with Claire's infant son, Aaron. On their way, Miles discovers the partially buried bodies of Danielle and Carl. They encounter Frank Lapidus, who saves their lives by instructing them to hide from a nearby Martin and Kimi, and the other mercenaries who are on their way back to the helicopter to return to the freighter Kahana. At night, Miles watches Claire as she leaves with her deceased father, Christian. Sawyer awakes next morning to find Aaron alone in a nearby tree and calls out for Claire with no response. In flash forwards, Jack has returned to work as a doctor in Los Angeles. He's engaged to Kate and lives with her while helping raise Aaron. Jack visits Hurley, who's in a mental institution. Hurley has not been taking his medication and suffers from hallucinations of his deceased friend, Charlie. He believes that the Oceanic Six have died and gone to heaven. Hurley gives Jack a message from Charlie. You're not supposed to raise him. Charlie has also told Hurley that Jack will be receiving a visitor. On two separate occasions, Jack sees his father. Jack asks his colleague, Erica, to prescribe him the anti-anxiety drug clonazepam. After overhearing a phone call, Jack becomes suspicious of Kate. The next night, a heated argument ensues in which she reveals that she is doing an errand for Sawyer, who Jack says is on the island by choice. Aaron arrives as Jack blurts out that Kate and Aaron are not related. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. An episode that, uh, as I'm sure I'll note later, is uh, its function is to kind of set things up for the, the final uh, back bunch of episodes to wrap out the, the season, but they do a really nice job hiding that fact. Uh, despite kind of some of the uh, 
mm, overly dramatic uh, appendectomy stuff. It, it, it's an episode that really comes together nicely. Uh, and indeed, it opens up with a, a nice variation of the eye shot. Jack slowly waking up, kind of unable to get going. That then leads to a beach scene where Rose and Bernard are confronting Daniel about the rescue. It's largely rehash type stuff, but it is, of course, an excuse for Jack to punctuate his desire to save everyone before he promptly passes out. Uh, with this, they go to a flash forward of him asleep. That, of course, certainly is some nice, nice juxtaposition from him having passed out to now, uh, now being asleep. It's a very kind of intentionally humdrum start to things. Uh, he gets a call about a change to his calendar. He's uh, you know, involving something uh, with uh, consulting with another doctor. Uh, and to kind of break up the, uh, the, the humdrum nature of it, we're shown a shot of ladies' pantaloons on the, the ground. Certainly, I think, first time. Viewers would be wondering if it's Kate. Uh, and then uh, I think that, you know... What happens next? Jack in the kitchen tripping over a toy Millennium Falcon. It seems sealed. Kate with Aaron, of course. Uh, Oddly, though, the show kind of stretches the mystery a bit. There's a woman in the shower who mumbles in an echoey room, meaning we can't quite pin down her voice. Uh, And, you know, that said, how many ladies with kids do we know in the show? Um, Sure enough, it's Kate. And they smooch, and it's certainly thought-provoking, but not quite the the normal jumping-off point that they end the teaser act normally with. Um, but sure enough, that is how they, they end the teaser act, with that what is supposed to be a shocking moment, I suppose, uh, that they're kissing. Uh, and with that, they go to the title card. Now, after the title card, we have proud surrogate Papa Jack, who's reading to the toddler Aaron. The scene is played for the heights of happy domesticity. There's no sense of the ironic as presented by the show. I almost wonder if that's intentional. Uh, We know how this particular storyline will end. It is, of course, going to be, we have to go back Jack, who's estranged from Kate. Um, So the show almost gets to have its domestic cake and eat it, too. If that makes sense. You know, they're, they're able to play it straight in this scene, but then we're the ones at home saying, oh my goodness, this is all going to fall apart. They kind of don't need to spell that out for us. Anyhow, after the the book reading and Aaron safely asleep, Jack and Kate uh, talk in the hall. She comments about how nice it is to see him reading to Aaron. And there certainly is uh, a forced sense almost of Kate saying, we must have a happy family. These, of course, are two people that are, you know, come from uh, profoundly... uh, uh, I don't want to say broken homes in the sense of, you know, the traditional sense of that phrase, but, you know, obviously between Kate's father, stepfather, father, and all that, her, her almost multiple abandonment issues, uh, you know, Sam Austin not having been around enough and, and the, the other guy and perhaps having been around too much, um, you know, and then Jack's own father issues. Uh, it's nice, you know, they, they don't oversell it, but there really is this sense of, Come on, everybody smile. We have to have a great family or else it's going to be like what we grew up with. Uh, so kudos to the show there for kind of walking that, that line nicely. Uh, with that, the flashback is over and Jack looks sick. 
Heck, Matthew Fox looks sick here, and it's a credit to the actor. It's just downright uncomfortable. It's that look of somebody who's legitimately sick, and you're saying, please don't throw up in front of me. It's, it's that look on his face to the point that I almost wondered if they happened to catch him sick that day. And so, oh, quick, let's shoot, let's shoot the scene where Jack is sick. Uh, I doubt that would be the case. Certainly, I think it would have showed up in, uh, in the trivia. But he just genuinely looks, looks uncomfortable. Uh, with that, we cut to Sawyer, Claire, Aaron, and Miles. Uh, she says that she feels a bit woozy. Perhaps a nice little connection between the siblings, perhaps. Kind of almost a, uh, you know, the, I mean, I know they're not twins, but as there is a twin connection, uh, sometimes perhaps this is some sort of sibling connection. Now, to be fair, Claire, of course, is probably still uh, recovering from the concussion of the house that exploded around her and did very little to her, as we discussed last week. Uh, anyhow, if there is this connection between the two, uh, they don't milk it. Uh, the show moves on. Miles stops as he starts to get Ghostbuster, Ghost Talker flashes. Um, at this point, the show takes what I think is a rather horrific route for the show. Uh, Miles uh, starts to, to kind of root about and finds the very shallow graves of Danielle and Carl. They're kind of... Uh, grayed skin faces sticking up out of the dirt. Um, it's brief, but it certainly is bothersome, kind of in the best sense. You know, it's dramatically bothersome. It's it, it's it's uncomfortable to watch, um, and it does give Miles a chance to define himself. You know, the show so many times must do things uh, in a quick manner. It, you know, can't kind of stop and allow people to monologue. So here we have Miles who amidst all this is able to note that the killers aren't his, quote, buddies, close quote, uh, and that he did not sign on for this. So we kind of get a shift from Miles as one of those freighter bad guys to uh, somebody somewhere in the middle. Uh, with that, we head back to Dr. Jack. Uh, he's dismissed his sickness as food poisoning. Dr. Juliet, of course, pegs it as appendicitis. Uh, and that's without feeling his lower left quadrant which is rigid, and with that, she confirms the diagnosis. The kicker to end the act? We're just going to have to take it out. Bump, bump. Eh, you know, it's slightly gimmicky. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't feel gimmicky, but it is slightly gimmicky. They've added here some beach tension to tide us over uh, in between Michael and the freighter and the inevitable answer as to who gets off the island and how. Um... That said, you know, it, the appendix story works, and it certainly is multifaceted. They move uh, and increase the tension uh, by uh, having a search made for medical supplies, uh, which is going to send a bunch to, uh, to the swan hatch. Why not move Jack, asks Kate, because, Juliet says, his appendix can rupture! So, again, eh, you know, it's it, it's not great, but it doesn't come off as bad either. It comes off as very in the moment. Uh, and it's probably helped by the fact that we saw Jack unwell in the previous episode. So, you know, even though that clearly is an intentional moment meant to feed into this episode, it um, it doesn't quite feel as gimmicky as Problem of the Week. Anyhow, with that, the story moves back into the jungle where Claire is tending to Aaron Irony of ironies, since she won't be by the end of the episode. But anyhow, from afar, Miles watches. Now, is he looking to get cozy with her, or 
frankly, the thought crossed my mind, is he looking to watch her feed her baby? Uh, the former idea is kind of cute, and the latter is, of course, quite creepy. Either way, Sawyer shuts it down, with Miles asking, What are you, her big brother? I think that we're meant to mentally think to ourselves, No, he's at the beach, and he's the star of today's Flash Forward. Thank you very much. Uh, either way, it is absolutely fantastic to see the two sarcastic, gruff guys uh, interacting together. Um, they're kind of both the same, not the same note, but they're both the same same type of song, and they certainly can play uh, play well together, as we'll uh, as we'll see in the flash forwards in in uh, two seasons time. Anyhow, with that, we head back to the beach where there's exposition, but it's great exposition that's natural. It advances the story and it asks a great question about this place where, as we know, no one is supposed to get sick. Sure, Jack is going to be okay. An appendectomy is just about the most common kind of surgery there is. That's not what I was thinking about. I was thinking, why did he get sick? Why? It's just, it's just bad luck. The day before we were all supposed to be rescued, the person that we count on the most suddenly comes down with a life-threatening condition, and you're chalking it up to bad luck? Well, what are you saying? That Jack did something to offend the gods? When people get sick, Rose. Not here. Here they get better here it's just a great look on bernard's face oh yeah people do get better here had we forgotten that fact i think that for many of us it's a yes uh and it's a credit to the uh the jack is sick storyline it kind of is done with such uh some such uh, a staccato nature that i think that the the basic uh illogic of it as we understand island health uh, that that logic sort of has uh, has has passed us by. With that, the story moves back to Jack's tent, where there's a bit of cute banter between him and Juliet. Then Jack, rather ridiculously, declares that he a wants to watch the surgery by b being conscious for it via only a local anesthesia. With c Kate holding the mirror, despite the fact that d dentist Bernard has medical experience. It's certainly is crazy it feels absolutely hand of the writer not quite sure what what gets achieved by them uh, going this route other than creating a tension which they then most logically dispel by saying we need to talk uh we we need to to knock him out um i think that's the only function of it it's it's you know this is not a this is not a bad episode this is not a filler episode but the jack uh uh surgery certainly has that um has that uh, effect to it um and it kind of fills this episode although it is as as i said before it is a a nice job in terms of it being a compelling and interesting story anyhow with that we flash forward to jack in the hospital where he thinks he sees uh his father in the lobby uh, now, this certainly is an interesting, sticky point. If I've been arguing that Christian post-crash is always Smokey, and we know that Smokey can't get off the island, then who is this? Well, certainly as it's presented uh, in this episode, both in this scene and later on, um, you know, it's presented as a hallucination. Now, that said, the first time Jack hallucinated his father, back uh, episode 102, 103, somewhere in there, uh, I think that we can only assume that it was indeed Smokey, uh, particularly in light of that that missing piece uh, where 
uh, I personally think that uh, think that that uh, that was Smokey in the form of Jack's father, kind of uh, uh, I don't know, starting what Smokey does best, getting his meat hooks into people. I, I know certainly some disagree with that being uh, with that being Smokey as Jack's father, but anyhow, to bring it back to here, well, either it's a I guess we have a couple of options. It's a hallucination, uh, which is possible. It is smoky, which seems uh, particularly, you know, now that we have all all the the episodes under our belts, seems impossible. He's not getting off the island for for this sort of communication. Uh, is there a third option that it's it's the island force, it's the Jacob force, it's the force of good reaching out to him, much as the island wouldn't let Michael commit suicide? Uh, I, I suppose that's possible too. Uh, it certainly is convenient that it's all wrapped up in these daddy issues. Um, if I have to, to choose one, I'm going with it, it, it's a hallucination, it's guilt, it's uh, domestic fatherly Jack seeing the, the, the visage of, uh, of poor fatherhood before him. Uh, so that's my take. Anyway, the scene gets interrupted by Jack getting a call from Santa Rosa. Speaking of hallucinations, uh, where a mysterious him isn't doing well, so Jack goes to see him. Why aren't you taking your meds? Because we're dead. All of us. All the Oceanic Six, we're all dead. We never got off that island. Early. That is not true. What'd you do today? What did I do today? I, uh... I woke up, took a shower. Uh, Kate and I fed the baby. I thought you didn't want anything to do with Aaron. I changed my mind after the trial. Living with Kate, taking care of Aaron, it all seems so perfect. Just like heaven. Just because I'm happy doesn't mean that this isn't real, Hurley. I was happy too, Jack. For a while, anyway. And I saw Charlie. He likes to sit with me on the bench out on the front lawn. It's pretty cool, actually. Okay. So what did the two of you talk about? Well, yesterday you told me you were going to be coming by. He wanted me to give you a message. A message? You made me write it down, so I wouldn't mess it up. You're not supposed to raise him, Jack. Does that make any sense? No, that doesn't make any sense. You think he means Aaron? Take your meds, really. Just take them. Hey, Jack. Charlie said someone's going to be visiting you, too. Soon.
What an impressive scene, and what a great capper to it. It's foreshadowing, uh, I think, without question, to the Flash Sideways. Uh, of course, you know, it's been a while since I, I suppose I've talked about uh, author procedure, if we'll call it that. Are they intentionally foreshadowing the Flash Sideways? Perhaps yes, perhaps no. I don't know how how clear this plan was, uh, which would be which would be sprung in in essentially a bit more than a season. Uh, but that that's neither here nor there. Uh, it uh, you know falls to us as as critics of the show and those of us uh, you know involved in in mental analysis uh, to see these things, regardless of author uh, intention. It's kind of the the final product can be greater than what was intended uh, if the intellectual argument is to be made and here i think there's little question that it's uh you know you're getting a whiff of the flash sideways we're all dead it's it's mistimed on hurley's part but it's not uh, incorrect uh, and indeed who's leading us to that theory the first notion that they're all dead i mean not the first notion that was an early an early theory to the to the show and i think that that's part of the reason why the show committed to it uh in season six um you know now that we've spent five seasons confirming that that they're not all dead half of season six they're all dead uh but anyhow who leads us to this theory it is hurley our future leader now of course they're not overplaying their hand uh it is being delivered in in terms of it being a foreshadowing it's being delivered by someone who we thought was mildly depressed last time at santa rosa but now who is clearly emotionally troubled. It's kind of, you know, he's, he's speaking a future truth uh, while at a low point. Anyhow, as you heard in the clip there, the act break uh, comes, and when it's over, it's the Quans, Daniel, and Charlotte at the medical hatch to get the goodies. There's a great little joke. Daniel asks where the power is coming from, and Charlotte suggests adding that question to the list. Uh, we, we minders of the list... Uh, certainly get a chuckle out of that one. Anyhow, more importantly, for the purposes of foreshadowing, is that Jin promises to do whatever it takes to get Sun and their baby off the island. So, foreshadowing indeed. With that, the story heads back to Sawyer and company. Uh, and they're just walking along when they run smack into Lapidus, who has them hide as Kimi and the leftovers of his crew are coming along. It's a great little tense moment and a way for the story to say that at least some of them are still alive, that that threat is still out there. Uh, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of action at its best. Yes, it's not an action scene per se, but it's kind of the, the purposes of action and tension uh, shouldn't be just to be exciting. There should be some sort of story focus. And to see uh, to see Sawyer and company hiding in the bushes there is most certainly uh, not just for the sake of tension or weirdness, but uh, as I said, to communicate that Kimi and company are alive. At this point, we're halfway through the episode and it's feeling quick and tense, and it is indeed, as I've said before, doing a great job of hiding its function as an episode to set things up ahead of the final stretch of the season. Indeed, that's probably the function of the appendicitis, as I've, as I've already wondered a bit, fill out the episode while the other parts move into place. Anyhow, uh, we move on to a quick scene of Jack being helped by Nurse Kate into the operating theater. Uh, then they flash forward to Jack watching Santa Rosa. 
Great little uh, supposition there that we'll read from Wikipedia at the end. But at any rate, Jack returns home, and there's an interesting moment where he lies to Kate. Uh, he says he had to pick uh, up something, and it took a while, hence he's late. Lying to your lady. Not a great idea for a once-divorced guy. And then, of course, after lying to your lady, naturally it's a great time for him to propose, which he does. Nothing like starting marriage with lies, eh? Uh, it's, again, a happy scene by itself, and the show doesn't tip its hand for the bad times ahead, but we know it. The show is indeed challenging us to remember, something to its credit. Uh, with that, we have an act break, then Jin in Korean accusing Charlotte of understanding Korean. She denies it until Jin the Enforcer threatens to break Daniel's fingers. A wonderful little flourish of you know, Jin the Fisherman being set aside so the enforcer can come up to the surface and and get what he needs uh what he needs done uh with this prospect of daniel's fingers being broken one by one charlotte fesses up and he makes her promise to get son off the island tellingly it's not gin and son just son and her unborn baby of course with that the story moves to the mash tent where bernard is allowed to be the anesthesiologist, uh, along with surgeon Juliet and nurse Kate. As the surgery progresses, it's really, really, really nicely done. There's a lot of quick close-ups of skin being cut or slightly out-of-shot moments uh, of skin being cut as reflected in the mirror. For story filler, it's working great. The music swirls and Jack feels more and more pain and orders are made to knock him out and get Kate out of there. And once knocked out, flash forward, Jack hears a beeping at the hospital. It being the middle of the night, he's alone because most hospitals are really only open during the day, right? Around about six o'clock, they send everybody home and send those patients away, right? Yeah, it's a bit convenient particularly since you know have you ever seen a lobby a hospital lobby kind of shut down for the night and empty but eh, it's enough to get uh jack that beeping is to get him to the lobby jack with that we see christian with our own eyes honest to goodness christian it appears anyway so are they going to talk? Are they going to get answers? Will these mysteries be solved? Eh, not so much. Jack? And with that, Christian is gone. You okay? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm okay. I, uh... I just, uh... The, um, the smoke detector was... Was beeping, and I just. Okay, thank you for keeping us safe. Erica, um, do you mind doing me a favor? Yeah, sure. Can you write a script for Clonazepam? For you? Yeah. Um, I just got a lot going on right now, and um, just a little snowed under with all my caseload, and Kate and I got engaged just not sleeping very well at night. Thank you. You know, getting engaged is supposed to help reduce stress. I create it. Yeah. You're right. You should talk to someone. 
I'll do that. And thus, Jack starts his substance abuse. And the hits keep on coming. The pressure continues to rise. He gets home and Kate is on the phone with a mysterious person. Someone who we overhear her say that she can meet before Jack home gets one day. A cheating spouse slash a future spouse certainly feels like a return trip for Jack. Thinking back to that first marriage, Jack who immediately pops his pill and washes it down with beer. Substance abuse indeed. With that, the flashback is over and Claire wakes up. She can't find Aaron. And across from the fire, he's there with, is it Christian? One of the great, <laughs> the great mysteries of uh, certainly the episode. Uh, obviously, you know, we know better it's not Christian. And indeed, alas, if there's one thing we've learned from Smokey, it's that he doesn't give you what you need. It's what you want. Daddy abandonment issues? Check. Potential plug for the hole in her heart? Check. That we have an act break, then Kate on the beach with, as we learned from Bernard, Jack being A-OK. Kate goes into the mash tent and men's fences with Juliet over the OR fight. They're all good to go, so... Juliet explains that Jack kissed her and gives a good explanation that the kiss was to test himself over which girl he loved. She implies that he loves Kate, which works well in the flash forward, particularly now that Kate might be stepping out and Jack is popping pills. It's nothing but bliss. Indeed, the flash forward story picks up with a drunk, angry Jack finding Kate coming home when she shouldn't have been out, according to his mindset. He admits to having seen Hurley and didn't want her to joined him on the visit because it would have upset her. Good old Jack. Let's manage those fragile ladies, what with their fainting couches and weak female physiques and their inability to go visit people uh, while in mental hospitals. Jack then questions and questions Kate where she was. Uh, perhaps he wonders why she would dare be out of the house. I don't know. Her answer, she was doing something for him, for Sawyer, following up on a promise. In a teary scene, Kate won't tell Jack what the promise was. We certainly can smell that as a bit of foreshadowing, can't we? And there's more of an explanation of things to come. Explanation for those of us in the audience, anyhow. Sawyer chose to stay, and Jack chose to save Kate. It's more to hate Jack with, whining about how he's the better man, so he's entitled to more. It's just, uh, it's interesting how this episode really... Uh, deconstructs Jack back to someone that, that we, you know, we see his flaws so prominently. Anyhow, naturally, right when Jack shouts that Kate shouldn't be so maternal to Aaron since he's not her son, that's when Aaron walks in. Way to go, Dad. Way to go. You're unable to escape your own poor father's sense of paternal responsibility, and you're repeating those mistakes again. Uh, with that, the flash forward is over. And Sawyer wakes to see that Claire is gone, and our friend Miles knows why. When? In the middle of the night. Just got up and left. You let her go alone? She wasn't alone. Well, who was she with? She called him Dad. I'd have followed them, but I have a restraining order.
So Miles can see Christian. Perhaps clue number one, and mother and son have been separated. Big clue number two that, of course, answers how Kate gets the baby. Uh, and that's also the tipping point with which we start to head to the end of the season. I think certainly, you know, as first-time viewers, uh, or, you know, to put on that hat, as we so often do, we're supposed to be asking ourselves, did Miles see Christian uh, because of the ghost thing, or because Christian was really there? Uh, I don't know how much discussion was, you know, the, the writers intended us to have in terms of, is Christian not dead? Certainly, you know, we've had these clues, dead is dead, and that sort of thing. But uh, quite, a, quite a way to end the episode. Again, kind of a functional episode as to, uh, as to moving things into place for this, uh, this short season with the gigantic three-part finale. But uh, quite, a, quite a good bit of fun nonetheless. And of course, it's not over. Let's take a look at Lostpedia for the bits and pieces I've missed. Uh, there was some inane trivia that I really left out. I don't remember what it was, but one in particular was just kind of silly. But anyhow, uh, one bit, uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes explanation. The Yankees-Red Sox newspaper article is by Greg Bilson, staff writer. Greg Bilson is the founder of Independent Studio Services, a company that produces props for the film and television industry. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of fun there. You know, much of the text was taken from a real New York Times article, but just you know, a bit of bit of a background on the props. Uh, what an interesting, strange job that must be. Anyhow, uh, Lostpedia also says the, the fact that John Terry appears as Christian Shepherd, uh, that fact was not listed ahead of time in the official ABC press release. Also, rather interestingly, probably a result of this, uh, this independent studio services, but uh, Jack gets his prescription from Scadden's Pharmacy, a fictional pharmacy named on several episodes of CSI. Uh, now a bit of trivia from Wikipedia. When asked why Hurley do, uh, does not take drugs to see Charlie, but Jack starts his drug addiction to try not to see Christian, Edward Kitsis said that, quote, Jack has always been a man of science, and there has to be something logical. The scene where Jack is staring at the bench where Hurley sits when Charlie visits him, I think in that moment he's thinking, my life right now is pretty good, I don't want to end up here. In regards to the contrast in Kate's character on the island and after the island, Kitts had said, quote, You could say that motherhood suits her. In the flash forwards, there's a sense of purpose to her, some clarity to her. There's so much devotion to that child, and she appears to be a great mother. Taking care of Aaron may have helped her put away some other issues. Now, I certainly never kind of questioned Kate's dedication as a mother. To me, it just fit. She's somebody who wants to be caring and who can't get out of her past and now that she is fully out of that past uh it just seems that her that her uh her life works it's all come together that is before they all have to go back so certainly you know this this was a fun episode not terribly deep uh and certainly not tons of uh you know tons of odds and ends to make of it since it is setting up uh, future episodes, but but a fun episode nonetheless, and one that that um, does a good job with its uh, you know with its central gimmick of of Jack's sickness. So with that, let's quickly look ahead to next week. Next week is four eleven, the infamous cabin fever, and then after that, 
not one, not two, but three episodes in a row dedicated to uh, to the end of the season, the three-part season finale. So if you'd like to share feedback, you certainly can do so by saying hello to me on Twitter, where I'm Looking Back Lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com, visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com, or call the listener line, 732-707-1815. So thank you, as always, for listening. It's always... Uh, great fun to be looking back at lost with you and i will talk to you all again next week for 411 cabin fever take care everybody and bye bye <laughs>